Hi, my name is Steve Wishart, and I'm the IB World Schools Manager for Australasia at the International Baccalaureate. In part two of this episode, we have on board with us Darlene Fisher, host of our leadership podcast series, Jasmine Madhani, head of Jabnabi Nasi International School, Kevin House, Director of the Institute for Learning and Research at Dulwich College International, and Sita Murthy, Director of Education at Silver Oaks International School. They will be sharing their insights on how to better serve the needs of students with innovations in assessment. The second part of this this topic of assessment and looking not so much at the intricacies of in-classroom assessment, but looking back at the bigger picture of what's happened to assessment at the end of the school life of students. Um, IB has done different things. A-levels have been done differently. Different countries have cancelled all sorts of end-of-year exams over the time. What is this on students and schools, do you think? And to what extent do we think that that might have an impact further down the school as time changes? Are other things being impacted by the changes and the um, cancelling or... Uh, of, of assessment as it was done? I'll say that uh, one thing, uh, because the exam got cancelled, we are uh, dependent more on uh, teachers and the ongoing assessments, what uh, the teacher may have done uh, with the students in the classroom. So I would say the focus was on uh, teachers' judgment uh, about a student, that if a student would sit for the exam, what he or she would get. That uh, impact, if I see within the school would be definitely teachers getting more confidence in terms of uh, what's going on. Uh, students uh, looking at it is important. You cannot be just studying only for the exams. It's just the ongoing learning process. And as they step out, yes, many of our uh, students have already got their placements in the universities and uh, they are looking forward to joining them even uh, remotely and uh, those kids even in the city here in Mumbai they were accepted in the various colleges so uh, I would say that uh, some of our uh, students they opt for those options uh, of taking admissions locally uh, where uh, parents are also quite happy to have them for a few more years in the city uh, so that impact I see uh, the positive side of uh, exams not happening and uh, on our uh, community yeah very interesting you're talking about teachers working to include more and or better assessments and recognizing it's more important and that students have to take them a bit more seriously rather than depending on their final end of year results Caesar, what about your school just two days back we had the national eligibility test for the medical students okay so this is september mid-september in fact, they should have started their, their first year of medicine in September, but they're just writing their medical exam. But I just feel, even in case of Kenya or in case of other countries where, you know, there is this disparity, some schools could start, some could not start. Even in our country, we have 29 states. Many of the state governments could not start the academic year till this month. 
they've just started last week whereas the national boards have already started in april i think this one year is going to be quite a chaotic way of looking at it because we are so used to time frames 21 22 20 21 19 20 we are so used to time frames and everything has gone haywire so why i think we need to look at it differently come out of this time frame idea and accept things the way they are it's okay if kenya has taken that that decision okay if it is in if it is not right for somebody it is not it is not good for somebody else so we just have to accept this thing because this pandemic has thrown everything out of gear for academic year is a very small thing compared to the economy of the world so probably we educators have to stop worrying about the time frame and start looking at probably let them get a little more additional time to engage in the same year or in the next year probably so learning is more important like earlier kevin was also saying we are trivializing the entire thing within a time frame within a question paper within a, a, a year level and things like that let's expand our uh, thoughts for me i for me it's okay either which way it's okay i think as long as children are engaged in learning and they gaining something from it i'm okay with it thank you even i think you know assessment as i said it, it's really about what you know whereas really fourth industrial revolution and the skills that we're being asked to try and build in and promote and nurture in the education systems that we work with of being asked really the question should be what can you do so in other words that's not a vocational a clarion call to to vocational training i think that's an oversimplification what it's really saying is not just what do you know but what can you do with what you know which goes back to robinson and others ideas around creativity so in other words how do we build creativity into the knowledge promotion systems and structures that we've got in schooling and i think i i was reminded <laughs> when you share that kenyan example there was a famous historical event in in england in 1752 when they moved from the julian to the gregorian calendar and overnight the whole population were told that they'd lost 11 days and it led to rioting in the streets because people thought literally they'd had 11 days of their life taken away from them because of course people's perception of time the times impact upon you as an individual was uh, very different than it is today but in a sense i think we're facing a similar thing in that when you take away the exams you've taken away the 11 days and there are some in education who are going oh my god what can we do so therefore some take extreme measures such as to say let's just wind back the clock for these children and they have to do another year of of education i do think it's it's an incredible opportunity to try and evaluate the industry i mean you know the ib cambridge whomever you look at who offer formal credentialing through examination systems if you look at their business model that's their biggest revenue stream so of course there's a massive drive to go back to it because those companies to do the great work that they might do need the funding and the funding comes from the exams so i think you've kind of got a strange paradigm in which we can see what's good but we're in an economic model where it's difficult to actually access that i do think we're on the cusp 
I've talked with people in vocational training environments where they're using things like double ledger blockchain. Um, I think Jasmine mentioned, you know, remote proctoring. There are, there are solutions that are evolving that would allow us to do more low stakes and to do more with um, a variety of different kind of assessment models. It's interesting, we're talking a little bit about the assessment within schools. I'm also interested in, I mean, universities are finding other ways of accepting students. Is it not, do you not think, or is it possible that their structures will change in line with this required flexibility that you were talking about, Sita? We've got to get used to things that are changing. Is there a feeling out there from your experience with schools and universities that this might also help an ongoing reconsideration of assessment? There will be a reconsideration of it because uh, if I have to tell you from our uh, national board example in India right now, our grade 12 and grade 10, they write the board exams here. Okay? So the boards have taken necessary uh, precautions to compress the learning program so that they can complete the time frame of this academic year which I personally feel that, you know, learning cannot be compressed into anything. It should be more. But however, I think it is the universities that have to take a call now as to these students who are coming out of a school with certain areas which were otherwise defined to be learned are not learned now. So when they come to university, if it is something that's very important, they have to accommodate it in their learning program. Okay. So th this adjustment between the schools and the universities has to, that vertical alignment has to happen systematically. But I also would feel that, you know, if not in the first year of the university, second semester of the university, students will get to learn what they missed out in the learning at a grade 12 level. Right now in our country, um, the 12th graders who finished their exams or given their entrance exams, they're still waiting for the university to start. But the second, third year, fourth year are already underway. They're in their full-time courses. Students who join online programs in other universities have started. But physical, the first year part of it has not started yet. Okay? But I don't see a great harm in that. Because there is always an opportunity to learn. Because we're at the end of it, talking about learning more than the time frame. Yes, yes. It's a very important point you make. It's it's not the amount of time you spend in a school or at a university that counts. It's what you do with it, and and what learning takes place. I guess I'm I'm thinking also along the lines of to what extent if universities have had a year where they have accepted students without exam results because country after country and organisation have cancelled exams, why would this not continue if it gives them an alternative way of looking at students. Is this something that universities are talking about? Some are, but is um, not sure to what extent. Jasmine? So uh, I feel especially, uh, you know, one of the example what I can share, like US universities when they declared, it's test optional. They are not looking at SAT scores and uh, ACT scores anymore for admission. So what are they looking at? probably uh, skills, what the students have acquired uh, in their high school. And that is what they are recognizing when they are giving the admission. And that is the 
communication what we are getting from the universities and the admission officers when you know multiple webinars uh, when they were uh, holding for uh, students in uh, India they were looking at uh, the skills what uh, they have learned during their uh, program, uh, whether we call as uh, research skills or the uh, creativity, what they have uh, done, uh, have they taken the, uh, you know, whether visual arts or uh, the theater courses or even vocational I think creative side of the students and uh, research skills, what uh, they really uh, want to give uh, importance to. Uh, so uh, I, I feel it's quite interesting that uh, even university admission uh, officers are realizing there is something beyond just the numbers, what they see on the transcript uh, that uh, students may come with, uh, you know, uh, the background of uh, whether we call it uh, the communication skills or we call as uh, reflective uh, skills. So I, I feel uh, importance will go more towards skills and why not? They should continue doing that uh, even in future uh, after COVID uh, situation, which everybody comes out with. Yeah. Let's hope so. Kevin, would you like to add anything there? Sure, briefly. Um, yeah, we as a group are looking at I'm leading a team developing a high school curriculum that won't use credentials as we know them. So no APs, no A-level, no IB diploma, no IBCP. It will use a systemized approach to a range of dispositions and trades alongside the disciplinary areas, multidisciplinary areas, and then we've designed a range of core literacies. Um, and then also e-portfolios built around a, a provocation-based learning environment um, and then the recognition is a key piece because obviously as I said the economics of credentialing bleeds into the economics of scale when it comes to universities if they've got 30 to 50,000 applications from students every year obviously having a number-based system uh, means that they can manage it with efficiencies in terms of the size of their admissions departments and those are, those are just realities but, but one of the things we're trying to do is to partner with targeted universities uh, and targeted industry leaders to actually co-construct the curriculum with us so that they would then make, we bake recognition of those into the units that the, the kids would be engaging with and they would also endorse the learning world. So let's see where we go, but it's a brave step. I think it's, it, we're not the first obviously, but there are a few others around the world in, in, this, in a similar space. Which university markets will be more receptive? It's obviously the US uh, and Canada tend to be more open-minded than some of the other English-speaking cultures. I think the UK probably being some of them more conservative. But I do think the current pandemic means that more and more universities are gonna to have to become more and more innovative about keeping uh, their numbers inflated in terms of student numbers. And they're gonna to have to be more creative in terms of what they will recognize as a valid pre-tertiary uh, learning experience. Thank you. It's um, a fascinating topic, clearly, where COVID has created a lot of potential for change and, and a requirement for change. A question we've got is also, I guess, another aspect on that would be the extent to which the learner profile supports university entrance in that sense that what you were talking about, Jasmine, student universities can recognise the broader picture rather than a number of a student's exam results that would be a, a way of looking at how they're 
entry into into school and you were talking Kevin about a variety of, of I guess skills and understandings that would be a part of the program that you're looking at rather than a specific credential and that would build on on that idea I think I think a lot of universities clearly have had to rethink how they choose students and what, what they're going to do about obtaining students, given it all has changed so much. I guess it leads to, in essence, we've looked just briefly at this current student school year who have had exams cancelled and the current year that the universities are looking at entrance for. Do you see, or what are your thoughts on, on the year that's down you know, the current grade 11s who might not have their exams cancelled but it still have had a year of COVID and perhaps uh, their their learning has changed or their, their their understanding of it has changed. Do you have any any thoughts on those ideas or is it too out there because it's also, unex, you know, unknown as yet? Jasmine? I, I would say uh, for present grade 11, you know, they are, they are exploring new ways to, uh, you know, adapt uh, in terms of, uh, yes, we have to learn these skills uh, over the period of time. For example, okay, science labs are not available. So what? There are other alternatives to find the data and still you can process it, you can write your reports, you can reflect on your work. We cannot do maybe uh, whether can we find the primary data or secondary data what on what do we depend on so i would say they are navigating through the new ways to deal with the situation and uh, that really uh, makes us also think that uh, that uh, you know this is truly students are able to adapt to the situation no matter what you are uh, placing in front of uh, them and that's uh, you know that gives you the uh, satisfaction of uh, as a ib educator that uh, students are developing those skills adapting to the change which is required through the skills what they have learned over the period of time. So yes, uh, grade 11 where anxiety is there, at the same time you see them navigating through uh, with the support of uh, adults around them. Thank you. Sita or Kevin? So I, I was, um, as Jasmine was talking, I was thinking about it because we really didn't get to discuss this with the students. But knowing their age, they don't want to think so deeply about these things at all. They're currently quite engaged in what's happening. I know the only thing they're looking forward to is coming out and meeting their friends and coming to school, having that entire social system. Other than that, um, the 11th graders are not really anxious about anything uh, because I'm trying to recollect all my 11th grade in Hyderabad, my 11th grade in Bangalore school. I mean, have they expressed any concerns? Not really. Because I think at their age, they don't look so far ahead. They, they look for today, tomorrow, at best next month, waiting to come back to school. But beyond that, I did not really see many anxieties. Even we didn't have that question because I think as adults also, we just want to believe that it's going to get all right by December. <laughs> we want to believe that. Okay. Uh, let's hope. I'm not sure that it's going to all come down and it's yeah. not going to look like it used to, I don't think, but it'll be interesting to see. Kevin? I always remember a colleague who was in a, uh, a senior leader in a school during SARS 
and yeah. we had to go into lockdown in online and we said the IB results were going to fire that year than they'd ever been before. So they had to sit on that. I'm not overly worried about what's lost. I'm more worried about the teacher's role and the teacher's role being to connect and to focus on managing their anxiety in having lived through a year of lockdown mm-hmm. and to manage the anxiety of their children. I worry far more about well-being at the moment. I worry far more about that than any learning that's lost. I think um, we're now looking at very tired faculties, very tired senior leaderships, and very tired children. Already three or four weeks into a new academic year, you're seeing signs of, of people looking and feeling like they're in the last two weeks of a long semester. Now, obviously, there's a long way to go before the end of the semester, and in all likelihood, in many cultures, in many contexts, they won't be getting a break to get away from it or they'll be getting locked down in their homes. So I, I think really we, that piece is the piece that worries me the most about our learning communities and how the well-being is going to be um, managed and looked after. And obviously there's a lot of pressure on teachers to be key players in that because you've also got families and parents who are very, very tired themselves and are under enormous amounts of stress because of economic reasons or, or literally just being locked up, cooped up for so long periods of time. So that, that's kind of what, what worries me more yeah. um, than anything about learning. It's, a, it's an extraordinarily important topic and then uh, the topic also of uh, another podcast, how schools are dealing with and, and leaders are dealing with, with wellbeing and supporting both during the crisis and as schools go back. Um, also with our whatever blended section they've got. But let's just, just pull it together now. It, our topic has been assessment and where we've looked at both in school and the bigger picture, perhaps the, tried to have a bit of a bigger picture look at it, but we're still very much in the middle of this crisis in, in many ways. And so it's impossible to say exactly what the consequences have been. But if there was one thing you could say, just to, to finish off with, that you're happy to take forward into the new normal, uh, learnt through the COVID crisis, what would they be? We'll finish off on a high note. Jasmine? I, I would say uh, flexibility and uh, adaptability of the uh, community uh, through this time, uh, which we would like to continue. Uh, even after uh, COVID. It's a good thing to keep an eye on. (laughs) So I'll take the word from Learner Profile, courageous. I think we have all been very courageous. We'll continue to be courageous because we need to have it. And a lot of resilience we built, we need to continue with it as adults, as well as learners in our school. We need to be courageous. We need to be resilient. Thank you. Kevin, last word. <laughs> I think it's opened our eyes to the importance of equity, not equality, but equity, fairness for all, the importance of diversity of perspectives. And I think it also has raised the notion that we, you know, access to digitization will soon become a human right, just as education should be. Thank you very much to the three of you for your conversations, experience, ideas, and thoughts about assessment during and after the times of of COVID. And I really appreciate you giving your times. I'm sure your ideas will help learners and leaders all over the world. Thank you again so much for your time today. Thank you for listening. 
Subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Be sure to check out more episodes of IB Voices on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Join us next time for more insights from our IB community.